on this week's Devils in the Details. First, our thoughts on the seemingly imminent bumper contract that will make Marcus Rashford one of the highest paid players in the Premier League. What's going on with Mason Mount and among the reported alternatives, which is the best? And is De Gea really leaving? What can United fans expect if he's replaced by Andre Onana? case. I'm trying not to make it sound like I'm as tired of the transfer window as I am already. How are you feeling? I hate the rumor carousel. I don't have the patience for keeping track of who's a tier one versus tier two source. I just, I, I just don't care. So like, it's nice to see names mentioned and we're going to talk about names and I'd love to talk about players, but I'll say this much. I'm not I'm going to do as little speculation about like when these moves get done or what's a real link versus what's, what isn't uh, as possible just because I, f- I find it exhausting. I find this stuff exhausting. To, to give you an idea of how exhausting it has been to follow this while preparing for this week's episode, I am currently, while Case is saying this, checking Twitter to make sure nothing new has come out. I am scrolling Fabrizio Romano's timeline, and the most... We're just to be completely transparent here in case something happens after we record this. We are recording at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or Eastern Daylight Time on a Sunday. So if something happens between now and our upload time of 6 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, I would not be surprised. And we're sorry we missed the boat on whether Mount was or was not joining or whether De Gea was or was not staying. Um, And with that said, I think we can start with the most exciting and probably most likely guaranteed news, which is Marcus Rashford renewing and becoming one of the highest paid players in the Premier League. I think we're expecting this to be announced pretty soon. Um, Case, I mean, I think this is a great renewal for United. Rashford's young. Rashford took a step up last season. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you can't let him go, right? So you needed to get this done. You can't have him go into his contract year without an extension signed. This was a necessary step. It would have been really bad if this hadn't happened. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm celebrating it, but yeah, obviously a positive development. You can't let one of your best players go. Yeah, I think most rational people are on board that this is a player you want to keep. Um, but I think there has been some sort of debate about the wage situation. Um, and whether Rashford really should be on a contract of this value. And to that, I think, after thinking about it a lot, I have a couple of points to make here. Um, the first being that the cost of replacing him is going to be way higher than any contract that, that he's going to be paid. Um, Rashford is in a bracket of players that y- we've reached the point where there's only a certain amount who are actually better than him. Um, and... Of those, I think there's even fewer who are very clearly better than him. Um, and to get any of those players is borderline impossible or cost north of 120, 130 million pounds, um, which is going to be the lifetime value of the most expensive contract Rashford will possibly get. And I know people will say that you'll you'll lose that money back in negotiated wages, but Rashford is also one of the longest serving players at the club. 
Um, and he's also a forward, and he's also one of the best five players in the team. So if two or three other players end up on these wages, that's pretty normal um, in a in a top-level Premier League team now. Um, and I, I have no concerns about it. In a world where you're starting from scratch, you don't own a single player, would this be the most efficient use of funds? No, but that's not the world we live in, right? It, you, retaining players is cheaper than getting new ones. And... Rashford is a player you want to retain. I think this is obviously given the given given the assets on hand. This is the way to use your assets uh, to to best make the most of them. Especially since we're going to have a limited budget this season. You can't you can't go replacing a a player of his value when you have other holes to fill. One more thing on this: what positions do you see Rashford playing for the next four or five years at United? I'm sure he'll get some center forward minutes next season and in the seasons thereafter, but I want to see him play as much left wing as possible. I think he's a left winger, an inside forward, whatever you want to, whatever word you want to use for it. I don't think he's a very good center forward. There are matches where you can use him at center forward and he can be effective, but those are the minority. What about you? Pretty much same. I think we're good on this. Let's talk about Mason Mount. I'll just read the Fabrizio Romano tweet from two hours ago as the update here. Understand Mason Mount's side stance remains clear. No plans to sign new deal as things stand. Man United now or free agent in 2024. Tuchel's a big fan, but no bid or talks with Bayern as of now. United £55 million bid still valid. Won't wait forever. So basically the situation here for those who are smarter than me and decided to log off social media for the last week United have had a couple of bids rejected, the most recent of which I believe was a 50 million plus 5 million in add-ons. This has been reported by pretty much every top outlet in United and in football news, Romano, Ornstein, so on. Seems like United really want Mount, seems like Mount wants to join United, personal terms have been agreed, Chelsea don't want to accept this bid, they want 58 million plus 7 million in add-ons, and United have gone, look, we've made a number of bids, we think we've bidded enough. We think this should go through. Case, what do you think about that? I think that's a very healthy behavior in the transfer market. I, I think I would have liked to have seen a lot more of that from United in the in the past decade. You have to have a stopping point. You know, it, it's it's easy to say, well, we have the money to go on, and it's only so much more. But we've seen United get strung along like this and wind up with fees that were supposed to be 60 million become 70, 80, 90, 100 million. So, yeah, I, you, you, I, I agree with whoever it is who's, who's put out this brief saying, we bid enough and you need to sell this player for your own ambitions and we want the player, the player wants to come. This is a fair deal for everyone and we're not going to get strung along and if, if, we, if you want to string us along, we're going to move on. That's how United should be doing business. I don't know what level of, of accuracy this this report has, but I, I like the sound of it. That's that's how I want United to, to, to play this. I think it's perfectly normal to go, you know, hey, we, we want this player. We think he's worth this much. Go into negotiations. You get to a standoff because there's inability to come up with an exact agreement. And then to go, okay, if that's the agreement, we're going to leave that on the table and look at other options. And what you might find is United go and look for other options and decide, oh, there are no other options. Maybe we just need to pay the $65 million for Mount, um, which is also fine, right? Um, I think it's good to set a line. And then 
at that point you go, okay, we're going to reassess our options. It doesn't mean United aren't going to get a midfielder if they can't get the fee for Mount. That's that's not good, right? You need to get a midfielder in for this team to function next season. But right now it just seems like they're assessing other options. And there have been a number of names thrown here. Um, I think with varying validity, I think what you're seeing is a couple of top Premier League clubs kind of looking around the same players. And then there's the obvious, the most the most obvious link has been Moises Caicedo. We both love Moises Caicedo, um, think he's great. But it definitely, to me at least, seems like one of those things that very obviously looks like with Chelsea's interest in, in Caicedo, you're going, okay, we're going to buy the player you like then. Um, and disrupt your plans if you don't accept this offer. Um, I'm not sure how much we should be buying into this and whether it's just a briefing war. Because um, even reliable journalists get caught up in briefing wars, right? Yeah, we'll talk about Kaiseido if it becomes pertinent. I don't actually think that report is true. Case is not ready to get hurt yet. Um, I'm not. I'm really, really <laughs> not. I, yeah, I'm not. I think Caicedo would be a better move than Mount, but I don't think... Mount is, I think, a very, very clearly the, the actual primary target. Yeah, yeah. I think if United are only getting one midfielder, Caicedo is the one we've said is the one we both want. Um, if you're getting Mount, I think you might want to leave room for a second midfielder, which I also might think, uh, which I also think might be part of the valuation spread between United and chelsea here um where i think they they believe if they sell both fred and mctominay they might be looking to get another midfielder but that's all speculation yeah there were also some rice links but i think it's kind of throwing united into the race with two teams that are much more likely to get him so i again we'll talk about that if and when it becomes yeah pertinent i mean i think i've said on this podcast before that i prefer bread and pasta (laughs) on to topic three goalkeepers Seems like there's a standoff related to De Gea that's also preventing some movement with Henderson somehow. Um, and then there's also links to Andre Onana, Inter goalkeeper, formerly Ajax goalkeeper who used to play for Ten Hag. Case, okay, so let's start with Onana because I actually, let's just talk about Onana because I don't particularly think we need to address De Gea again. Hopefully. What can we expect if Onana joins United? for the reported 50 million euros plus perhaps some add-ons fee. I'll start with addressing the fee. I think this is a lot of money for a goalkeeper. I will always be uncomfortable with this amount of money for a goalkeeper. That said, if you're going to spend this kind of money on a goalkeeper, I think it's very key that it be a goalkeeper who has the capacity to do every aspect of goalkeeping at a high level. I would very broadly break those things, those aspects of goalkeeping into a few categories. What you can do with the ball at your feet, and I'm also including throwing the ball in that, even though that's obviously not something you do with your feet, your distribution. How you command your box, that's claiming crosses, both on the ground and in the air, uh, directing your defenders from set pieces, things like that. Your sweeping ability, so coming off your line in transition situations, um, how proactive you are getting out of your box, your ability to cover ground, your positioning, and then finally your shot stopping, whether that be 1v1 or from more traditional shot situations. Onana is not 
I've seen a lot of Onana. Actually, the first article I ever wrote about football was about Andre Onana. Onana is not the most consistent player ever. I'll say that much. He has his dips in form. He's imperfect. But I think his ceiling is one of the best goalkeepers in in the world. And I've seen him go on runs where he is one of the best goalkeepers I've ever seen play. He can do all, every one of those aspects that I mentioned at the highest level. He's still pretty young. I would say, in particular, he is an elite, elite goalkeeper with the ball at his feet. I would go beyond that. I think he's a very, very good shot stopper, especially 1v1. And I say all of this as somebody who's generally very, very wary of being too bullish on goalkeepers just because I don't feel it's my my area that I'm I have the strongest knowledge about but I've seen so much of Onana that I'm very very confident that he's exactly what we need from a goalkeeper that's not to say that I think he's perfect but I really really like the idea of this move in the aggregate even at a fee that high just because for me specifically this is a case specific phenomenon I have a high degree of confidence that it will work. And there aren't a lot of goalkeepers I, I could personally can say that about simply because I don't, you know, look around the continent at goalkeepers very often. From my perspective, I also object to the fees and like fees north of 50 million on goalkeepers. I just tend to think that goalkeepers are unlikely to be adding that much value over an alternative you could get in another position. That being said, it looks like some of the players that I initially thought would be cheaper this summer are not going to be, um, namely David Raya, who is currently in a standoff with Spurs, or Brentford's currently in a standoff with Spurs because they've agreed personal terms with Raya and they don't want to pay the fee, and Brentford have already, already replaced him, so it's an interesting situation, but I think basically what we're seeing is that I with goalkeeping, the it's very it's a weird market because... I think the ball playing demands of goalkeepers have grown faster than um, the actual production of goalkeepers who can do that stuff has grown. And so I think we're in this middle period where all the top teams have goalkeepers that can play the ball, but there aren't actually that many who can both play the ball at a high level and stop shots at a high level. Um, And Onana is one of those goalkeepers, so you're likely to pay a lot for him. Rai is also one of those goalkeepers, but Onana's better, I think. In I think both sides of the game, both the shot stopping and the uh, ball playing. Even though it's not ideal to pay that much, I think it's just something you're going to have to do if you want United to have a good goalkeeper for the next three or four seasons. Um, and there are options that might end up being cheap, but it doesn't seem like any of them are particularly likely at this point in time. I also think Onana is just great fun. Um, he's a, the most fun goalkeeper I can recall. Yeah, I'll say a couple of things about him beyond my the the most somber, objective uh, assessment I can give of him. United fans will love Onana. He is so so fun to watch play. He could not be further from David de Gea in terms of how he approaches a position. He is a bit of a nut job in terms of the decisions he makes. He very rarely will you see defenders upset with him for being too conservative with his behavior. He's pretty, 
you'll see him rushing out for like 40 yards from goal and booting a ball uh, if he feels like it. And he'll beat players on the dribble and just do things that you don't expect to see from goalkeepers. Sometimes it's not efficient behavior, but usually it is. Usually I think he adds a ton of value. So I think United fans will just love watching him play. And honestly, I... We don't usually talk about the emotional side of the game here. We try to avoid it, but I like when United sign players that I think are fun to watch, and I think he'd be very fun to watch. Beyond that, another thing that I think is interesting about Onana and that we should talk about was something Aaron and I were actually just talking about before we came on, and that is his shot-stopping record in the Champions League versus in domestic play. Um, Aaron, do you want to touch on the details of that, and then we can... Yeah, so statistically, Onana is, like, record-breakingly good in the Champions League um, as a shot stopper. He averages over half a goal saved above average per 90 in Champions League play, spanning from Ajax's semifinal run um, in 2018-19 under Ten Hag to this last season where Inter made the final uh, with Onana in goal. So that's a sample of about... 3990s where Onana has been a world-class shot stopper in the Champions League. However, in the Eredivisie or the Serie A in the last few seasons, he doesn't quite have the same record. He's like a neutral, slightly above average shot stopper. I don't think there's anything in this. Others who have watched these teams more than me might be able to say there's something in this. I think it's easy to say that there's something in this when there might actually not be because we have evidence suggesting he's a better shot stopper in the Champions League. So we're likely to come up with reasons why that's the case when those reasons might not actually mean that he's better in the Champions League than he's not. But it is really interesting um, and something to keep an eye on that you also made the point that, you know, in the Champions League, you face different shots to what you face in the domestic league, which I think is one such example of a case where maybe that's true. Maybe that is why he's a better shot stopper. Um, in the Champions League, Ajax probably play a little bit deeper on average than they do in domestic competition. Um, the same can definitely be said of Inter. Um, and that leads to a different nature of shots being faced. It might also be that other teams are creating better chances against Ajax and Inter in the Champions League than they are in domestic competition. And Onana is better at saving really, really good chances, but not as good at saving the like average lower end shots that a dominant team might face in the domestic leagues. It's hard to really say, and it's hard to really say how any of those things would pan out to United facing just the most tactically diverse league of all time in domestic competition, and then the same Champions League. Um, but it is interesting. Yeah, so I think you covered basically all of it there, but I'll, I'll add this on. I do think Onana is better at saving... I think where Onana adds most of his value as a shot stopper is when it comes to larger chances. I think he's a really good 1v1 keeper. Uh, in terms of his decision-making, his technique, his um, execution. I think he's more middling when it comes to how he handles low-quality chances, long shots. Yeah, speculative efforts. I, I'm, I don't think he's like a huge value add there. Which I So I could see, theoretically, and I'm not saying this is 
definitely the case, but I could see how in the Champions League, he could have faced more of those high-value chances and it would have given him the opportunity to add more value. It's sort of the opposite of De Gea, right? Um, Where we've seen De Gea in the seasons where he's faced larger shot volume, he adds a ton of value on the basis of being a really, really good anticipation goalkeeper. Uh, Somebody who can save shots from outside of the box that are really well-placed, hit well, often obscured. Uh, I think Onana's kind of the opposite where uh, a couple of really big chances in a game, I think he gives you a much better chance of stopping those really big chances. And that's while keeping in mind the fact that De Gea is actually a very good goalkeeper in long-range 1v1s. He's worse in short-range 1v1s. I would say Onana's very good in both. So Awesome. Yeah, I think that's enough on Onana for now. I really hope he joins. Cool, let's chat Dean Henderson. So there's also a scenario here where United decide, you know, maybe we don't want to pay that much money for Onana, but we also don't want to keep De Gea. Um, And so Dean Henderson ends up being the next option. Henderson was on loan at Nottingham Forest last season. He is rumored to be subject to like a bid in the low 20 million range from Nottingham Forest to sign him. Um, but I think United are holding off on a sale until they have certainty around the rest of the situation, which has to mean that they're considering him just a little bit. We've talked in the past about Henderson's relationship with the club. It would be a little more interesting to talk about what he actually does as a goalkeeper and whether we think that he could be good for United. And I'll go first. I think my answer is that I think he would be an upgrade on De Gea for sure, but I'm not sure he would be able to match the level of someone like Raya or Onana or Diogo Costa. Um, the reason for that mainly being his uh, his ability with his feet. So Henderson played for Sheffield United the season before Aaron Ramsdale played for Sheffield United, which was the season before Aaron Ramsdale was signed by Arsenal. And I think an important takeaway from those seasons was that Henderson was actually the vastly superior shot stopper to Ramsdale in their time at the Blades. By Stats Bomb's model, if I recall properly, and this is entirely from memory, he was worth about a fifth of a goal a game on the pot. That's about right. So Opta has him at 6.2 post-shot expected goals above average over the season, and that was in 36.90, so it puts him at 0.17 per 90, which is a good shot-stopping record. That has him as top five in the Premier League in that season. Um, It's it's worth noting, I think maybe we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I I just want to say it again. Shot stopping over small samples is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly high variance. It it really takes many, many years for a goalkeeper's shot stopping numbers to converge. Um, The problem with that is a goalkeeper's shot stopping ability can change drastically uh, in a few years. And they can change teams and circumstances and the types of shots they face can change. So these numbers are interesting. They're useful as a heuristic to a limited extent. But... You can't just look at these numbers and say, oh, so-and-so had the best post-shot expected goals uh, above average in the league this season. Therefore, he must be the best shot-stopping goalkeeper. It doesn't work that way. Uh, These models are not granular enough to give you that kind of confidence. Yeah, and continuing along that theme, Henderson was 6.2 above in that season, and he has been at least slightly below in every other season on record. So he was minus 4.1 in 1890s in this year's Premier League, which is actually more negative per 90 than he was positive per 90 in that Blade season. And 
I mean, I'm not saying that to say he's a bad shot stopper. I think we have evidence that he's probably at least an average shot stopper at Premier League level. I think it's likely that he is an above average shot stopper at Premier League level. I don't think it's guaranteed based on the data. Um, but Henderson is a big goalkeeper. He has a good record with sweeping. He has a good record with shot stopping overall. Um, and there's reason to think he will have a good Premier League career. I think on the other hand, what's worth noting here is that Henderson doesn't really have any notable experience on the ball. Going back to his time at the Blades, Ramsdale was the one who was regarded as much better on the ball in the in the se- in the season that they got relegated, even though Henderson was the better goalkeeper overall. Um, and so I think that maps worse to top half possession teams. That's why Arsenal went for a goalkeeper like Ramsdale, because he did the things that they wanted. Um, in particular, I think Henderson's really good at kicking it very long, um, but I don't think he's particularly good in the short range. He's had some problems sorting out his feet at different times, um, which is a big problem when you're trying to play out of a press. Um, I think he might be able to do things like the chip passes to the fullbacks, but I'm not sure he could do anything remotely close to what Onana does, which is basically join a back three and build up and be able to cut passes through the first line of opposition play um, precisely and relatively consistently. Um, and so I think Henderson would be an upgrade on De Gea in many aspects, but I don't think he's going to be like the full enablement of Ten Hag to do whatever he wants with the back four and build up, which is what Onana will probably be. Which is which is, which might be a compromise you're willing to pay for for that price if it allows you to get another striker or another midfielder, but it's worth noting for sure. Yeah. Yep, I agree with that. I think... Starting next season with Henderson as your first choice goalkeeper wouldn't be catastrophic, but it's definitely not ideal. And I think it would cost you points. So I really hope United get Onana because I don't really see another realistic option here who, who with real links uh, at this point, given how close we are to a post De Gea United, I'll be very disappointed if he does sign a new contract. Uh, we're at, we're at a junction, a juncture here where we can move on and we should. Uh, so we'll see that happens. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on what's actually happening with the, with the De Gea situation, but I, I won't go into them. I think the most important thing is that there's some disagreement about what his role is going to be next season and what his wages are going to be next season. And that suggests to me that um, United don't value him as highly as he feels he should be valued based on the role he's had over the last few seasons. Um, and so we'll see whether he renews or not eventually, but regardless, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. And if he leaves, interesting to see where he ends up going next. With that, I think we can take a break. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome back. We're going to go to a question first, and then we're going to do some no details. First, um, someone named Leader asks, in the next five years, is the team capable of winning the Champions League first or the Premier League first? And I thought this question was really interesting because I think I would say the Champions League. Case, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is a very easy question to answer, I think. 
if you assume that United will not be the best team in the Premier League at any point in the next five years, which I do assume that, I don't think even if this project goes well, United are likely to be better than Pep City at any one given time. I think it's possible that they could outscore them across 38 matches, but that's different from being better. So for that reason, I would say the Champions League because of its format. A knockout format means sometimes you can get away with not confronting the best teams or, you know, you, you, you can outplay a team that's better than you over 180 minutes. It's a lot harder to do that over the course of 38 matches. And that's what it comes down to. Uh, I expect next season, if United get a good goalkeeper, a good midfielder, and a good striker, even if they aren't perfect profile fits and they aren't perfect age profiles, that they'll go deep in the Champions League, at least the quarterfinal. With with that logic, if you make it to the quarterfinal, you should have, theoretically, something like a 12% chance of winning. Uh, probably a little lower if you're not one of the best sides, but that's not nothing. You do that a few years in a row, you get a chance. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this United team, even right now, is that far off the Inter Milan team that was in the Champions League final. As good of a game as I thought that they played that day, um, I don't think it's impossible for United to even be that good next season. Um, and by that logic, Inter got to the Champions League final, so why couldn't United? Um, so if you ask me which it's more likely United will win, I mean, my first answer would be probably neither in the next five years. Um I would like to see at least one, and that one is more likely to be the Champions League than the Premier League. Yeah, I think there's a very good chance that you win one of them in the next five years if you keep on with keep going with the current trajectory. But I think it's far from a guarantee, which is pretty dire now that those words are coming out of my mouth. But yeah, it, it kind of is. But also, it's the it's a bit of a dynasty and i think if united can even disrupt that dynasty i think it'd be really really good i think they would be the only team to do it so you know which is really depressing i mean other teams could probably be the that team i think it's very likely I mean, City go and win, you wouldn't like, say liverpool did i mean liverpool won the league over this city side oh no i mean like but going forward i think liverpool's unlikely to do it again so i think in the next five years you're gonna see city win probably four if they keep pep so and they keep holland so yeah, I mean, I, I'd be astonished if they don't win at least three of the next five. So, all right, and to get over that, no details. This is the segment where we allow you to ask anything, except with one rule: it cannot be about football. And today we're actually going to do a game that Case invented during our break, um, which was, which has stumped me truly. Um, pick your favorite current song artist and album but there can't be any overlaps um and case what was the rule for current was it last year is that what you said i don't think it has to be recent release it just has to be what you're listening to right now so like if you're you were going to go on your i think you listen to spotify your preferred streaming service uh and you're going to put on a song or you're going to put on an artist or you're going to put on an album what would it which which would they be Okay, I'll let you go first. <laughs> oh, come on. No, 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 no. It's my question. You're going first. No. Um. I keep a list somewhere. Let me find that list. 
Okay. Oh, you know what? Since you're being so lame, I'll, I'll, I'll answer. Um, okay. I'll start with artist. Uh, I listen to a ton of Little Sims. She's one of my favorite artists. Little Sims is like who I default to right now. Uh, her most recent album, but also uh, sometimes I might be an introvert. I don't know if our listeners listen to Little Sims, but uh, great album uh, and awesome artist. Okay, I'll let you do your al- your your artist, and then we'll, we'll we'll alternate. I mean, I might be cooking myself for the next two, but I'm gonna pick Paramore because I saw them live in Toronto two weeks ago, and I have been pretty much exclusively listening to Paramore since that concert. I can't like I've always been a fan, but like I can't express how good that concert was, and so I've just been on that. Normally, I listen to a ton of different things, but. Yeah, if anything, that's like how much I enjoyed that day. So we'll see how I pick an album now. A good, a good concert can do that. I, uh, yeah, the videos you sent of that concert look pretty cool. I, I love Paramore. So that's a good shout. Um, for album, my album, I, okay, so this is probably gonna surprise people, but the majority of my music that I listen to is Latin music or like at least reggaeton, like adjacent. I'd say it's, at least the plurality. It's a lot of music I listen to. Um, and Rosalia technically isn't reggaeton, but Motomami, like her most recent album, is is definitely the album I listen to most right now. I can, like, I sometimes I'll just put it on straight all the way through. So that is my answer. Okay. I'm surprised you didn't pick Strome's new album. So I'm going to pick that. Yeah. Because it's I, awesome. Yeah. Multitude. Um, yeah. It's just like a great really well refined dance album and i feel weird being the one to pick this because case literally saw him in boston and i was ex- incredibly jealous but yeah i mean also i think growing up in canada i feel like strome is not super big but i feel like he's more prominent than he probably is in other non-french speaking parts of the world so i had i have known strome throughout my childhood and i think his new album is like my favorite of any of the stuff he's done so yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I love all of his albums, and he was incredible live. That's the best concert I've ever been to. Um, but yeah, I just recently kind of transitioned away from it. But for months, that was like most of what I was listening to, too. Uh, you got a favorite song off the album? Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, I don't know. It's hard. It depends on the day. I feel like um, the first one I heard was Mon Amour, so that's always the first one I think of. Um, but it's really hard. I <sighs> Hold on, let me pull it up. I think I know what you're going to say. Probably. I think I've told you before what my favorite song on the album is. Yeah. Yeah. So mine off that album is uh, La Solacitu. I'm saying that I'm butchering the hell out of I'm butchering <laughs> that because I don't speak French. Um, you'll have to forgive me, to our, our Francophone listeners. Um, but I, I love that song. If you guys haven't heard that, I highly, highly, highly recommend. Nice. Nice. Okay. And song i'm gonna go to you first because i still haven't chosen okay um for song i got a song let's see what's my song i'm like one of those people who doesn't do playlists on spotify i just like songs and then i shuffle like a a, a sicko and then just skip until i f- find something that I'm that's horrifying to. by the way yeah um i can't reuse artists that's so annoying um <laughs> Your rules. And they are my rules. They're my rules. Um, 
Okay. Uh, I've been listening to 93 Till Infinity by Souls of Mischief like a lot recently. Elite, elite hip hop. Uh, highly recommend. It's like very much, it's not, it's like a 90s vibe. It's not like contemporary hip hop, but it's really good. Highly recommend. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, okay. I played classical piano as a kid, so I feel like a good, a good one here would be Jake's Golden Hour. I know it's really famous. Um, and I'm actually, I don't even listen to that much of his music, but I just love the piano part so much and it's had me playing it on loop. So that's probably the one I'd pick. Um, if you ask me to give one from an artist that I do like, then I would pick Three Nights by Dominic Fike. That one's a little uh, bit older. It's a banger. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's good. It's good. Yeah, I only got on to Dominic Fike like a year ago, and he's really, really good. So that'll be my pick. I don't remember those. Nice. Lines, this is good. good no details. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Everyone, thanks for listening once again. Um, leave in the comments whether you prefer listening to people who know nothing other than their own listenership about music, or you prefer listening to us talk about transfers that probably won't happen. Um, otherwise, we'll see you next week. See you later, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devil's ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.